Hi, welcome to Little Pieces Club Ministries podcast. My name is Chris Polod. I'm known as Mr. Chris to the kids of Little Pieces Club Ministries. I've been a pediatrician for over 15 years and worked at an academic institution, uh, which means I have a pretty deep foundation in science. I am a child of divorce who is now an author. We have a children's book out and more coming. And I created Little Pieces Club Ministries to um, uh, to wrap around uh, the ideas uh, that I have as I work with uh, kids and families. And what we basically do is decode the Bible, the biblical design patterns that heal and prevent trauma. Jesus' story uh, wrapped into the ideas of the Good Shepherd and Tree of Life help us process, grieve, forgive, and reintegrate our souls, both in solitude and community, all while we love God, self, and others, like the greatest commandments, or as we call them, the greatest blessings, dictate. You can connect with us on our website at www.littlepiecesclub.org, email at littlepiecesministries at gmail.com, and follow us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Uh, We do have a Facebook site, but I'm phasing that out. So this week's episode for Little Pieces Club Ministries podcast is Divorce 101 for Parents, Part 1. This is a multi-part um, podcast that I am drawing largely from a presentation I gave to primary care providers several years ago, um, maybe four or five years ago, where I um, pulled together a lot of relevant information regarding the past 20 to 25 years of research um, about how divorce impacts children. So I figured that would be a great place to start this um, season, this uh, second season uh, of our podcasts, and it is devoted a lot more towards um, education uh, for parents and giving you um, uh, information that you can use uh, to directly help um, yourselves and your kids as you um, either plan for, recover from, or uh, plan for new marriages in the future, uh, just to help give you our perspective, um, which, as the TED Talk indicated, is um, biblical design patterns interwoven with um, resilience themes and prevention of trauma. So I know that this topic might sting, and um, I only can imagine that adults, um, parents who have already gone through a divorce might be getting some of this information and just asking, why on earth didn't I know this before um, we got a divorce? Um, And uh, there's reasons for that, and we're going to go into those uh, today. But what I want you guys to understand is please understand my approach to this, and that is um, I am informational and not judgmental. If anything, um, one of the things that I've been um, getting more and more strongly worded or or a stronger voice about is the fact that curiosity is um, a much more effective tool for relationships than judgment. So I am here to help parents know the best way to move forward. And... um, but knowing the information that's out there is, I think, extraordinarily important. So um, I learned from a really amazing leader 
uh, a couple of years ago, this idea of running with scissors and um, divorce and other things that we do in our culture today are very similar to running with scissors. And so sometimes we have to, and sometimes we've got to know the risks. And I'm here today to make sure that we know the risks that divorce is for our kids. And so um, we'll kind of, we'll move on to uh, the, the story of this presentation. So when I gave this presentation, um, I was, um, I run a yearly pediatric continuing medical education conference at my college. And I had just over 100, 115 um, primary care providers. And this were, this, this represented pediatricians, family practitioners, nurse practitioners, um, and others who probably collectively had way over a thousand years of um, experience dealing with children. And so I asked them to raise their hand if they had ever been to a lecture that discusses the impact of divorce on children. And so um, I thought I would get a couple of hands, but there were zero hands raised that would that indicated that nobody in the room had ever heard the 20 some odd years of research into how divorce impacts children. And so I have an explanation for that um, on the uh, on the next slide that we're going to start to talk about. So for those of you new or just getting to know this ministry, we rely on biblical scholars, not church doctrine. So when I cite the Bible, I do so through a scholarly lens. So these scholars I typically uh, find and, and follow are usually believers, but they are those who stick to the rule of scholarship and debate. I take their information about what the Bible um, uh, meant in context to the people that wrote it and run it through the lens of modern trauma and medical and psychological information um, to get to the, um, I don't want to say truth, but just get to the information that I'm providing you. And I'm often struck by the deep wisdom revealed that explains our modern world, all from a book written thousands of years ago. So it's with this in mind that I introduce you to the work of Michael S. Heiser. You can follow him on the Naked Bible Bible podcast. Um, his impressive book uh, called The Unseen Realm pieces together details of the realm of spiritual beings that we find sprinkled throughout the Bible. Um, and he provides just um, a, a very interesting world about how the spiritual beings interact um, uh, with us. And it's interesting in Leviticus 20, we see a caution about giving children up to uh, child sacrifice, and that would be the god of Moloch. And so what Heiser would basically talk about is that Moloch was a, um, a spiritual being that um, exists in the spiritual realm, but he was a principality over a certain subset of people that sort of took on his um, his thinking patterns. And in our modern world, I would call this ideology. And so what Heiser notes is that the cities and principalities, and we see hints of this in the writings of Paul, um, This that is how the spiritual beings support 
and promote their thinking um, in the lives of humans. So today we see a world awash in divorce, abortion, and now trans ideology. And each one is sold in the media on its benefits. So for instance, divorce is primarily women, uh, if you look at the traditional mode of, of things with a male-dominated society, women need the, um, uh, the right, the legal right, to escape an abusive situation uh, that would be marriage. And so this is absolutely appropriate. And so you'll hear me paint both sides of a spectrum as I'm talking. Um, but the issue that we're getting into is that children are hurt by divorce. Um, but the marketing, the smart marketing campaign is to focus on the positives that um, we will get kids out of a con con uh, conflicted situation and they will do better. And then for abortion, uh, women need to have control over their bodies so that the economic realities that are very real don't unduly burden them. And that is, a, you know, if I've got two daughters myself, so I am extraordinarily interested in making sure that they are financially successful in this world. So that, um, that um, argument does make a lot of sense. And then finally, we now have um, this uh, trans, uh, many children dealing uh, with, um, with uh, gender dysphoria is what it's called. And uh, if they decide they would like to be uh, another gender, um, the medical community and the support community is um, uh, determined that these uh, children need to be affirmed without question for fear that if they're not, they will commit suicide if they're not affirmed in their new choice. But there's a problem with each and every one of these arguments, and that is we aren't seeing the big picture and that our eyes have been blinded to the subtle but significant long-term impacts of these modes of thinking. And so my argument is that we need to look at the full spectrum of what's happening to determine where we're going to use these tools in our culture and when we're not. So, for example, um, we have not spoken a lot about the long-term effects of divor divorce, childhood adverse experiences, abuse, and neglect in the childhood population. And as a lot of us know, going through COVID, we have uh, seen a spike in the number of divorces. And when it comes to abortion, we now have approximately 55 million children in the United States alone who have not been allowed to be born, with only 1.5% of these due to rape and incest cases. And finally, uh, we are beginning to see people with trans regret um, and several lawsuits throughout the UK and uh, at least one prominent one starting in California. Um, we see that children without true and honest and deep informed consent um, are being allowed to have their uh, the parts of their bodies removed and reconstructed to fit what their immature brains feel is their true gender. So, um, like I said, unfortunately, many are beginning to realize that this ideolo ideology or their ideologic journey 
um, that they took has left them still unhappy and now with mutilated bodies. And so add to this that for divorce, only approximately 30% of divorces um, are due to conflict that would rise to the level of abuse. And so um, we've got to turn and pivot and look at the spiritual side to all of this. And that is these tools in society, divorce, abortion, um, trans hormones and surgery. Um, how? And we have to ask the question, how different is this to the neighboring people of the Israelites who were sacrificing their children? Now, if you've gotten a divorce or an abortion, or if you are trans, um, am I advocating that you are to be shamed? Absolutely not. Um, this world is awash with so many different ide- ideas and ideologies and media outlets that it is very, very difficult to know right from wrong, know the full picture, and there's absolutely no way anyone could judge you for not seeing the big picture, um, especially if you got pulled along an ideological um, channel. So my simple question, though, for anyone who might have been experiencing any of these is, are you happy? I just, I want to be completely curious and not judgmental. And this means, are you deeply happy? Are you in love with God? Are you loving yourself and freely loving others? And that is staying loyal to God's messages for us that help us see the path to happiness and blessings. And that, and these have to do with right relationship, love, hope, and justice. And then do you show others, especially your children, how to love God, yourself, and or themselves, and others? So if all of these answers are truly yes, then you are blessed, and I'm extraordinarily glad for you. The problem is, again, that many children today are living through abuse and adversity and one-sided ideologies and have little to no power, which means that they are the oppressed. And the least we can do is deeply understand their plight from their eyes and their journey so that we can be good shepherds for them. So that is an extremely long diatribe on the fact that we can look to the Bible to explain some of this and how uh, if we begin to view ideologies the same way that um, uh, Dr. Heiser uh, mentions uh, the spiritual beings operate in the unseen realm, we begin to make some sense and add some spiritual perspective to what's going on in the world right now. So back to this presentation, the goals here are that we are going to talk about the value of marriage to health, child rearing, and its relationship to poverty. And the participant in this um, presentation will have a working knowledge of the history of divorce in the United States, and we will know how divorce impacts children across the developmental spectrum. And so this, we will explore these topics in the um, upcoming podcasts. And so we're going to review some highlights uh, from a book called Generation Unbound uh, to understand, understand some of the demographic shifts that are occurring in the United States in regards to marriage and family. And then we will interweave history and biblical scholarship to give us perspective on divorce currently. 
And then also I'll review uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics statement on divorce to help parents um, understand uh, exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to how we can rely on the medical establishment or not. So what you will not hear today is that divorce is terrible for children and no matter what, you need to avoid it at all costs. Instead, what I'll be talking about is looking at the ways to cushion the blow, potentially prevent, and understand the value that divorce has. Personal story, when I began my work, um, I was writing, in essence, what would have been a textbook about divorce for parents, um, which I'm now kind of parsing up into smaller pieces. Um, but when a parent first heard that I was talking about how divorce impacts children, I remember her eyes got so wide and she said, well, you know, you know, it was the divorce that allowed my mom to get out of an abusive situation and allow us children to escape that abuse. And so that really early on shook me um, to make sure that whenever I have uh, the opportunity that I'm making, that I'm painting both sides of the, of the spectrum well. So divorce has clear value, but it is not a clear and unadulterated good for everyone, including the children, all the time. So what we talk about is ways to cushion the blow um, in uh, the Little Pieces Ministries, small groups, teen groups, and uh, parent mentoring. So this is the American Academy of Pediatrics summary statement about divorce. And I just want to call out, and we're going to talk about this a couple of times, that they're really actually quite vague. And that's because there's a lot of evidence about um, how uh, children do struggle about this. But just see the, the general tone of these sentences. Although many children have long-lasting emotional and adjustment problems associated with their parents' divorce, most adjust and function well over time particularly those who have supportive relationships and are well-adjusted before the separation and divorce. And so I have a couple issues. First of all, although many children have long-lasting emotional adjustments, our very next phrase is most adjust well and function over time. So that is contradictory. And they also cite that these kids that do well um, are connected to parents um, that create supportive relationships and are well, and then these children are well adjusted before the separation or divorce. And just working with divorced kids and families, the question is how much conflict has gone on before the divorce that allows for well adjusted kids? Because you're really not looking at two well adjusted parents who then decide to get a divorce and then have a well adjusted divorce situation afterwards. So pretty much, I think this AAP statement is very unhelpful, and I'm putting it lightly. So what we will talk about is that the impact of divorce on children is variable for sure. But I'm hoping to alert you to the fact that it can be an ongoing issue that impacts health, behavior, and mental health. And so, as I've said, I advocate an eyes-wide-open vision akin to Bill Clinton's famous quote about abortion. And I advocate that divorce is ideally safe, legal, and rare. 
I and this ministry is not out to change divorce rights. I am here to help people walk through divorce in the most positive way possible. And so that is running with scissors with safety in mind. And so we will also talk about that a stable legal bond will help children and adults. So that is marriage. And at this time, I am making no distinction between LGBTQ marriages and um, a traditional marriage between one man and one woman. And we will talk about the fact that conflict is one of the keys, but that each divorce has a unique set of conditions and potential outcomes. And then the other question is, do parents have the resources, both external and internal, and the information that they need? So those are the things that we're really going to be talking about. So we need to look, though, at modern family divorce and conflict. And one of the books that I uh, read in prepping for a lot of this was called Primal Loss, The Now Adult Children of Divorce Speak. And this book was written by Layla Miller. Uh, She does have a Catholic background. But what she did is she published the raw and untouched responses to a survey Um, approximately 70 people in her social network simply responded to questions that she gave them. And this um, representative answer that I'm about to read is a highlight of number of of the key issues that a researcher by the name of Judith Wallerstein found. And she was one of the first researchers of divorce. But you can't help see a tension at work in this, and that is a Pandora's box. Just because we can divorce, does this mean that we should? Just because we have identified best practices to help children through it, if parents can behave in ways that cushion the blow, is it okay that this may self-perpetuate? Wallerstein envisioned a pro-marriage culture where in social circles we learn before, well before marriage, what it takes to pick the right partner and what to expect in marriage to make divorce less and less necessary. But as we'll see in a minute, we've got a whole new problem, a set of problems, and that is family structure is changing quickly. But before we do that, I think it's really important that you hear this quote from one of the people interviewed in Primal Loss. So a very broad question, but what effect has your parents' divorce had on you? Well, my dad, who had two more failed marriages, was left with a lot of regrets in his last days. If he had stayed with my mom or even my first stepmom, then he would have experienced a very different life, surrounded by all the kids and grandbabies. The first five of us siblings were once very close. The later three, we number eight in all now, have had no contact with the middle three. Their mother made it quite clear in the very beginning that she didn't give a damn about any of my dad's other children. She is only one year older than my big brother. I always swore that if I would never that I would never get it divorced, and now I am. I feel so bad for my girls who are now experiencing what I had to experience. That was the one thing I thought I could protect them from. Wrong, wrong, wrong. I have become a cynic. You will see that this quote um, represents many things that we're going to uh, talk about in the coming podcasts. So first of all, we need to look at the landscape of families. So there's a couple of, well, there's many choices on family structure. Um, I only highlight a couple because they're, they're easier to talk about with some data. So modern family A is an unmarried 25-year-old mom with two children, two dads, 
and no one with a career. Modern Family B is married physicians, both 30 years old, with one child and a nanny. Modern Family C is two married gay men with established careers, carefully choosing an egg and a surrogate mom, and they have two children. So we're going to look at the dark side of the choices and realize that they don't all have the same outcome. So a solution, how do parents, how do pediatricians fit in this? Remember, this talk was for the healthcare community. And Isabella Sawhill, who wrote the book Generation Unbound, Drifting into Sex and Parenthood Without Marriage, from the Brookings Institution, uh, this book was published in 2014, her solution was to make having children a choice, and that is providing an IUD for anyone, for any and all children uh, that desire one so that they can choose when they have a child um, because uh, that helps them manage their sexual behavior. So objective facts for Modern Family A. And this is, again, this is the unmarried mom with two children and two dads. So 50% of children today are born to single parents. Nearly 50% of those will have a different parent or father by age five. So what this is, is an uncontrolled social experiment. We have no outcome data, no long-term outcome data as to how children en masse will fare when they grow up in a situation of unmarried adults. So we cannot compare these to intact families or divorced kids. We, they just haven't grown up to give us data. So what we see, though, is unmarried, especially um, uh, without careers, um, puts children at risk to be under the poverty line. And so that also will follow them with decreased opportunities later on. And this is regardless of race. Now, if you add race to this, that is going to further stress the children's development. So next is marriage, and that is defined as legally stable two-parent family is good for the adults. The data is that they are happier, healthier, and build more wealth um, as they work together. Now, the point that I'm going to make is that conflict will change these benefits somewhat. Next, the objective fact is marriage is good for children. They have less depression and anxiety and, again, experience more wealth. But conflict does change the benefits somewhat. So I'm going to offer some opinions without, uh, or, sorry, I'm going to offer some opinions with evidence. And as we can see on the previous two slides, conflict is the key. And some may feel maybe more important than divorce. And so remember, when divorce was, regal, re, was legalized, we as a society were considerably less skilled in the ability to help people learn conflict resolution. Now that we have more resources, the question is, should the calculus change? Should it be reconsidered? Um, so some legal proceedings are requiring parent education and counseling before and after the divorce but that is uh, rare throughout the land. While evidence exists that pre-existing conflict is key, we also have to focus on the fact that the legal separation and forming of new families impacts children as well. And this is a direct result from the separation of the family. And so this adds additional heartbreak and conflict. 
And what we will get into much more, but I'm going to mention it now, is what's called parental alienation syndrome. And so when two parents try to raise kids separately and are not on the same page, and one particularly vents quite badly about the other, the kids for protection will align themselves with the parent who is doing the venting and in essence alienate the other uh, the other ex-spouse, thus leaving themselves by choice with one parent. And this um, is actually considered a form of mistreatment. And we will touch on the fact why I do not believe that this is called officially abuse, but I do believe that it should be considered very, very close to that. So when we look at conflict versus the impact of divorce, I draw a a picture which you can see on the YouTube video. And that is that as parental conflict increases, the emotional impact on the children is actually a bit less because the children can begin to see that the divorce is actually a helpful thing. So that's um, why that makes a lot of sense. But the problem when you look at the research is that children of divorce are generally more likely to have more superficial relationships and then choose divorce. So this is in essence perpetuating divorce. So then what about the relationships where the parents actually hide the conflict from the kids, but then all of a sudden spring a divorce on them? Well, this is the situation where the kids really search hard to figure out why there was divorce and oftentimes land on oh, it must have been something that I did. So that's why conflict is so important. So we're going to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole when it comes to conflict. So there are evidence-based programs that have shown success. There is the PREP um, curriculum, and this is being successfully used around the world with married and soon-to-be-married couples. There is the Couples Communication Program, And there is also the PAIRS, P-A-I-R-S program. These are just some evidence-based programs that I found that basically help people to focus on active listening, problem-solving skills, and so on and so forth as they enter into the um, journey of marriage. So I, um, as I developed the philosophy and curriculum of Little Pieces Club, I used as a starting point The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, written by Stephen Covey in the mid-1980s. And so I find that it's a very, very strong resource to talk about um, avoiding conflict. And what he talks about and what um, what we can kind of reference is this idea of the public victory. Uh, We talked a lot about the public Christian journey and the private Christian journey. And these are outgrowths with um, biblical design patterns that start on the framework of this public and private uh, victory that Covey talked about. So the four habits are to think win-win, to seek first to understand and then to be understood. And then habit six is to synergize. And so those are excellent, excellent um, problem-solving habits, and you can get very, very deep into them for sure. But what Covey talked about is that in order to do them well, you have to win the private victory um, and then also have a renewal habit as well. And so we talk a lot in LPC about um, Sabbath 
And so that's, again, how we connect all of this in. And then finally, there's a leadership habit that Covey talks about as well. But anything you read about interpersonal conflict can really be boiled down to the principles that Covey lays out. Um, And sometimes you'll find a new specific application, but the relational principles stay the same. And so we're going to we're going to look really closely at one particular one uh, right now. So in managing conflict, Covey talked about this public victory. And he also talked about this third alternative um, solution. And so when when you think about the idea of um, one person and then the other who are in a discussion that one that one can win and the other can lose or the first one can lose and the other one can win, or they can both lose or they can both win. So clearly the most sustainable option of all of these is win-win. And so I'm just going to pause real quick to remind you of the greatest blessings that we talk about in LPC, and that is love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So from the Christian perspective, this is a triple win. This is to love God, to love yourself, and to love others or your neighbor. So what Covey stumbled stumbled onto was the deep wisdom that we have in the biblical story. And that is, but if we look at it sort of more of of in a secular idea, we're looking for win-wins. And so if you kind of just play this out, what if someone, uh, one person loses and another person wins? Well, the loser is kind of the doormat. But if that first person were to win, but then the other person lost, then that would be sort of a domination type of an idea. Neither one of these are sustainable long-term for a relationship. And so then what about lose-lose? And so you can get open fighting, and that's lose-lose. But then um, Covey talked about the idea of compromise. And this is where each person gives up something so that they're both Um, able to move forward. So it's actually a high form of lose-lose. And what Covey talked about, which was synergy, which is both people abandoning their initial positions and working together relationally to find something that they are both happy about. That is win-win synergy. And that is the essence of conflict resolution. Now, there's many layers to this, including how you handle shame, how you handle attachment. That's all getting worked out, and we will eventually talk about all of those things. But for right now, understand that the basics that we're looking for is a win-win posture. And so Covey talked about the interrelationship of the habits, and that is first go into the conflict as win-win. I want to win for myself, and I want to win for the other person. But you have to be curious about what that win is for the other person. So that leads us into habit five, which is seek first to understand and then to be understood. So this is the habit of curiosity and courage. So you're curious about what the other person wants as a win, but you have to be courageous to make sure that you talk about what's a win to you. And then finally, when you work together to find that alternative that makes both of you happy, that is synergizing. So again, that's managing um, conflict, and that's what most of these programs end up telling people how to do. All right, so we're going to leave our conflict resolution rabbit hole, 
and get back into divorce history and the study of its impacts. So late in the 1970s, um, in part uh, spurred on by the sexual revolution, and just for those who uh, aren't really quite sure what I mean, there was a, um, again, ideological desire to disengage sex from marriage, but not necessarily childbearing. There's a very interesting book that I can call your attention to called Eve in Exile and the Restoration of Femininity by Rebecca Merkel. And she goes through the history of modern feminism, which is the ideology that a lot of what we talk about stems from. And that is uh, where it was rooted in the um, uh, origination of the Industrial Revolution when women realized that they were unable to participate as fully as men in the economic opportunities, which, again, is a very fair assessment. Um, But it was also started by people who either were or rubbed uh, shoulders with uh, atheists. And so they felt that they could come up with a new plan. Now, divorce is certainly a good safety valve for adults. And then, uh, but what about the kids? And so the assumptions were, by and large, wishful thinking. And that was what um, Judith Wallerstein began to see right away. And remember that the benefits of divorce are still couched in maybes. Remember the AAP statement that I talked about. Although many children have long-lasting emotional and adjustment problems associated with their parents' divorce, most adjust, uh, adjust and function well over time particularly those that have ideal circumstances. So again, remember that even though divorce was a net positive for the women um, to get out of abusive and, and um, bad conditions, uh, what about the, the children and what do we do about that? So I introduce you now, and I mentioned her name earlier, is Judith Wallerstein. And I affectionately think of her as the Jane Goodall for divorce. She ran a center in California for family therapy. And uh, shortly after the divorce became the the law of the land in uh, in California, she began to see children from divorced families were having problems. Now, her methodology was not necessarily the most ideal. She had some small data sets, but her conclusions were fairly accurate. Um, Some people questioned some of her extreme positions because I believe they felt ideologically threatened. But what she felt was a certainty are now considered um, very likely as possible outcomes. And I will tell you that with my own divorce journey, her insights were spot on with the way I felt and processed the divorce. So what she ended up doing was doing a 25-year longitudinal study where about every five years, she would um, get in touch with and interview kids of divorce. And in the last set of the interviews, they went back to their data set and compared people um, to those that were from intact families. So these are the moms and dads who were struggling, but they decided to stay together. And so what she saw was a picture that emerged. And that picture was of an optimal upbringing as it relates to marriage and family. So what she terms marriage university um, that happens in the uh, birth to uh, late teens to early 20s is where kids see day-to-day their parents going through marriage. 
And then in the late teens, they get into their first long-term relationship, but then they have to have, they come to a very critical point, and that is a decision on whether to stay in that relationship or to end it. And then they might go on into a second long-term relationship and then eventually um, decide to marry that individual. So the, uh, the fruit of emotional intelligence is the ability to know a good partner from a bad partner and the ability to stay or leave. So this becomes extraordinarily important when we see how she saw that this did not go well in the kids of divorce. So what she brings up is the impacts to children when a divorce happens in the short term are they get blunted emotional intelligence and that means that they don't share their emotions well out of fear of either um, burdening their parents or uh, a real fear that the parents will get upset if they do that. You can see just basic schedule disruption, um, change in living circumstances, which and then ongoing conflict with the parents, financial instability, short and longer term behavioral problems, including depression, anxiety, drug use, alcohol, unwanted pregnancies and abortions and then less stable, intimate adult relationships. And remember that most kids appear to do fine because they learn to fake it very well. And then increasingly in recent years, we've found out about and identified or kind of tied it all together as parental alienation syndrome. And again, we'll talk a lot more about that in coming podcasts. So the response to divorce through the ages. So if you have an infant or a toddler, they have an immediate attachment issue. And from some of the information that I've reviewed, there's about a three-day rule. If a parent is, if you get a divorce and you have a toddler or an infant at this stage, they will begin to show signs of um, distress at the fact that they don't see a caregiver within three days. So this would ideally be addressed in the visitation schedule uh, where the pe- uh, the parent who would be moving out gets to see the infant and toddler on a regular basis. So older toddlers from 18 months to three years do show a certain amount of separation anxiety, regression, regression, eating and sleeping issues, but they're not cognitively aware enough uh, to really process a lot of what's going on. Three to five-year-olds do not understand permanence, so they, these may be the ones who are constantly asking the other parent. So if you are a stressed parent who just went through a divorce and a three to five-year-old is constantly asking about the absent parent, how likely are you to raise your voice in anger with this child? Um, so remember that this is, this is just a reflection of that child's development. So a lot of kids here um, get into self-blame for the divorce. Uh, or they might get into a lot of defiant behavior and and testing. So now if we go to the 6 to 12-year-old age group, there's a lot of blame, fantasizing about a reunion, withdrawal from the family, anger, might feel abandoned by the non-custodial parent, and we might see school performances uh, not going well. And in the 13 to 18 age range, they may have difficulty in accepting, and as we talk about in Little Pieces Club, that's connected to grief. They may take on adult roles. They may take on delinquent behaviors, um, sex, drugs, de-idolize one or both parents, have a suicidal tendency, 
And then um, uh, it's particularly difficult with girls who have no female contact as they go through their pubertal changes. It's very difficult with, um, to do that with just a, a male. So again, we see a lot of problems that are very well established. And these actually come from that AAP document that I talked about earlier. But what I think is probably most important to talk about is what Judith Wallerstein's work lays out with um, how the upbringing with divorce changes. So we talk about that now. And so again, we have this idea of marriage university that should be happening from birth to about 18. That is, how do kids make a successful marriage? And so if you have divorce there, you have a potential high conflict both prior to the divorce and after. You see one parent potentially starting a new uh, family with another child. And then what this does is sort of starts to bring resilience into question. And so we have, number one, the child will feel a deep shame that they might be responsible for the divorce because that's how they process things. Um, it's much easier to um, accept shame that the kid did something wrong than to um, uh, choose to view the parents through that same lens because then they feel very unsafe. So it is a safer choice to choose the shame. Then we have uh, the caregiver child. So if you have a particularly unstable parent who um, seems to be very needy, that children will try to step into that role and they may appear super mature, but then they are also, they lose their childhood. So next we look at this first long-term relationship that can happen in the late teens or early 20s. And so this is when what Judith Wallerstein referred to as the sleeper effect begins to take, take hold. And that is uh, years after the initial divorce, the children can begin to have problems in their relationships, and that's the sleeper effect. But what happens is that due to fear of causing harm, uh, causing harm in another person, they may choose to stay with, within a relationship uh, longer than they should or even agree to marriage because they don't want to hurt the other person, all the while knowing that this person might not be a fit for them. So uh, this is how the upbringing with divorce is much different than uh, the, the, um, the optimal development as, as shown earlier. Now, there's a very heart, uh, heartwarming scene in her book. Um, I believe the child's name was Gary. And he remembered that after a fight that he, his dad had left the house and he was on his bike, went down to dad's store and found dad sleeping in the store. And he approached dad, obviously afraid that a divorce was going to happen. And the father said something to him that the child never forgot and came out in the 25-year interview with Wallerstein. And that is, the father said, um, your mom and I have had some ups and some downs like a roller coaster, but the best things that we have ever, the best things that have come out of this marriage are you kids, and we are going to stick it out and tough it out. And Gary's story in juxtaposition to the kids of divorce was that of a much higher uh, resiliency and much more stable adult relationships. 
And Wallerstein um, said that this statement that the father gave Gary was an absolute blessing for him. So staying together uh, with conflict or how to reduce conflict. So as I've said that in the final interview, Wallerstein included a cohort um, of similar children whose parents ultimately stayed together. They were better in their adult relationships and their marriage university education was much more complete. And they saw how to make it through the hard times that paid dividends in their adult lives of the children. And so many, many stories of people who get the right help and stay married or remarry tell us that it is possible and it is doable, but it takes effort and blood, sweat, and tears. So this is not a slide based on a value judgment from my religious background. It's just a statement of fact. Unfortunately, what often gets underrepresented in the divorce, in the should or shouldn't we divorce, is the discussion by very well-meaning people who are proponents of making sure people have easy and free access to no-fault divorce. Maybe because of their life experience, it was made better or they were one of the smaller percentages of people who actually experienced divorce uh, or experienced abuse. The fact is that marriages can and do get saved and people are often happier when they acquire the skills that they didn't learn in marriage university when they were growing up. It is a feeling of accomplishment and a gift to your family and the community that should not be discounted. And I think it was... um, telling from both books that I reviewed in helping children that um, they set aside time early on in the books to say, look, we're telling you how to help divorce, but the best thing for your kids is if in any way possible, you can stay together. And so um, that means, though, figuring out how to um, reduce conflict. So what about the parents in divorce? And so is it all rainbows, butterflies, and, and uh, good times ahead? And again, this was sort of mythical. So if you look at the data, um, mothers can often be stressed, feel humiliated. Um, we, they see alcohol use increase. They tend to seek mental health services compared with uh, divorced fathers. Mothers' problems can persist for prolonged periods after the divorce. And as we were going to talk about, parental alienation syndrome probably comes from this uh, maternal mental health struggle. Now, fathers are alienated from children. They seem less accepting of their children and may become depressed and anxious and abuse substances. And this is probably in response to both the shame of the divorce and being shamed by the opposite parent and not wanting to hurt the children So they can even have the best of intentions in these cases when they don't spend time with the children. Grandparents um, may feel a decreased quality of relationship with their grandchildren, especially in relation to custody arrangements that favor the ex-son-in-law or the ex-daughter-in-law. So divorce impacts many people around the family. And so here we're going to hit parental alienation syndrome. And again, I just mean to give the facts about this. I don't mean to alienate one gender from the other. So parental alienation syndrome is mostly perpetrated by women, but men are capable of doing this. Um, The women fit, and the men, fit a narcissistic and immature personality type. 
They vent and bash the absent ex-spouse. Children dislike or begin to refuse contact with that same spouse. As I've alluded to, this is a self-protection mechanism. It interferes with gender attachment. I can give personal stories about how that worked in my life. And they can begin, um, the good news, I guess, is that uh, they can begin to reconnect with their, uh, with the ex-spouse as adults, usually in their mid-20s where they gain some perspective and can begin to look at their parents through the eyes of who they are now. And so the question is, is parental alienation syndrome considered abuse or neglect? And for the resources that I've seen, they stop short of this. And now we're going to go down a little bit of a theology uh, rabbit hole. And that is, remember the talk of ideology that I had. And that is divorce is favored heavily by a feminist ideology. And so what I've seen is that if you begin to talk about the problems associated with divorce... People who um, present this ideology get very afraid that you are going to politically act against divorce. And so what I've seen in the literature is a very subtle but but notable uh, bend to not talking about the bad parts of, of the divorce. So, for instance, instead of saying that children can be hurt by divorce, we have many systems in place that can help children. In other words, we're not going to say that kids are hurt, but we've developed all these things to help them so that we can support the idea and the ideology of divorce. So I think that is what's holding us back from calling parental alienation syndrome abuse or neglect. I I feel very strongly that the impacts of it uh, very much fall in line with abuse and neglect. So the biggest root cause problem for children when it comes to divorce and really any adverse experience or mistreatment is this idea of shame. Even kids that were sexually abused or physically abused feel that they did something to cause that to happen. And as I just said earlier, listening to a lot of shame counselors, the reason is it's protective. It's protective psychologically to put the burden of the abuse on yourself as opposed to admit and feel that you have an unreliable parent. And so unfortunately, this um, non-ideal thinking pattern stays very much fixed into, uh, into the children. So this is one of the canaries in the mind that tell us that divorce should be and could be lumped into mistreatment And that is in the fact that it induces shame. It interferes with attachment, as we talked about the parental alienation syndrome. And kids will naturally feel responsible to maintain that sense of faith in the parents. But that shame will follow them into the future. So to make um, this wonderful news that I'm sharing with you even worse, and I do want to pause and realize that for any of you parents who have gotten a divorce, I just can't imagine how you're feeling right now. And I do sincerely apologize for that. Um, The research is very clear, and I just don't think our society does a good job of talking about it. So that's why I've put this podcast together. So here's another special case um, that can happen in divorce, and that is of a caregiver child. And these are the children that are suddenly appear very mature 
and are taking care of everything around the house, including being the emotional support for the parent. Wallerstein talked about a a child uh, like this who would talk about uh, staying up at night with her mom when her mom was depressed and potentially suicidal. So the burden of preventing the mom from uh, committing suicide was on the shoulders of this child. And so, again, as I said, this will rob children of their childhood. And that means that they can't, they don't have fun, they don't explore, they don't make the mistakes that they need to make in order to be robust and resilient individuals when they get into adulthood. Instead, they get very, very focused on following rules and then have this um, heightened uh, sense of responsibility. They often seem very much older than they are for their age, and that's a clear sign that we might have a caregiver child on our hands. And then as I've talked about, the sleeper effect, where um, you can again see the tension between Wallerstein, who interviewed children and who kept track of them as they aged, and reported her concerns based on children. And she she dealt with ostracism. When divorce was sold as a net good for the kids, and here she is noticing that there is a lot of problems, you can imagine from that ideological perspective, there was pushback. And of course, people use data, but is it, is it a complete spectrum of data that helps us see the real impacts so that we can be good shepherds for those who go through this? Or was it favoring one particular side of the ideological spectrum? And so she was the first to raise the red flag that intimate relationships into adulthood can be impacted greatly. And that's what she saw if children didn't have that marriage university. They had a higher likelihood of divorce. And as someone who experienced the sleeper effect in spades, it was very interesting reading the article that I cite here. Uh, Very little of the article was spent describing what actually happens to people who have the sleeper effect, but making sure that it didn't paint divorce in a bad light is what they were trying to do because that would limit all the benefits of divorce to those who would otherwise need it. Again, this assumes that help is not available for marriages in trouble. So like I said, we have a different, um, today we have a different landscape of support um, for parents who are considering divorce. Um, There are resources out there. Um, If you needed to reach out to me, uh, ask some questions, Um, But I listed some secular resources already in today's podcast. And of course, there are going to be multiple Christian counselors out there, um, parent, uh, parent and couples therapy. And as we go through this podcast, we will uh, certainly hit on um, uh, various uh, methods that you can use. But again, you can go to the Little Pieces Club Ministries website, or it's littlepiecesclub.com or .org. And on the side of the screen on the left, uh, you can navigate the Little Pieces Club, go down to Marriage Rescue, and you can begin to see some of the ways um, the biblical design patterns help to uh, diffuse, and understand, and avoid conflict. So we are going to wrap this podcast up for today. Um, But next time, we're going to go into uh, defining the science of adverse childhood experiences. And we're going to begin to look at the strategies that um, need to be in place to give kids the optimal um, uh, chance at um, emerging from divorce uh, with good, um, with good, robust 
resilience and relational skills. And we'll um, particularly highlight though, some games that kids like to play in the divorce setting and that games that parents definitely play in the divorce setting. So now we're gonna pray this episode to a close. Um, Those of you who followed the first season uh, where we talked a lot about uh, the small group sessions that we have, know that I will pray towards the end. And so what you're looking at if you're watching the YouTube video is our Little Pieces Club uh, Tree of Life logo in the center of a stained glass formation in the National Cathedral. So dear Heavenly Father, oh, before I start my prayer, I just want to thank you for making it through this podcast. I know if you're a divorced parent, um, it had a lot of darkness to it. Um, But the whole reason that I have my ministry here is to help shepherd you um, and uh, through the dark times and realize that um, you are loved, you are cherished, and um, you are extremely capable of Um, amassing wisdom that will help your child um, and your spouse if you're remarried. Um, If you're before divorce, hopefully um, you can begin to see different uh, avenues. Um, But in any regard, you are loved and cherished. And I just feel blessed um, that we've had this opportunity to talk about these things today. So dear Heavenly Father, we sit here learning hard truths about our modern world. We are grateful that you walk with us, that you never abandon us, but you give us distance when we ask for it. Through stories, history, and poetry, you guide us to what brings us and those we love blessings. Lord, we ask and give your voice permission to speak deep into our hearts, that although we may believe that we are defective, dangerous, or bad, or shameful, or in short, we feel like dirt. Some of the very first words that you spoke tell us your loving hand created us from the dirt and breathed life into us with your spirit, all so that we can walk and work alongside you on this earth to create an Eden or place of beauty where we, again, can walk with you without shame. Grant us your wisdom, your patience and kindness, so that we can be a tree of life radiating with your love and life-giving living water. May we be the healing hands for our children and those we shepherd. We humbly ask you to work quickly, but submit to your timing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, we're Little Pieces Club Ministries. Thank you for spending time with us. Feel free to connect and explore with us at littlepiecesclub.org.